Hey, and we are back with Hostels in Hawaii, and today I have a very, 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 very special guest, none other than my dad, Paul Cashin! Woo! And the crowd goes wild! Hello, massive listening audience. I <laughs> just want to say hi to everyone. This is Paul here. This is Paul, my dad. dad. This is the Paul podcast, highly anticipated, and we're going to do a little bit of a different format um, for this podcast. Basically, Paul has lived a very wild wild crazy life lots of good stories and so i wanted to do a podcast where basically we tell a new story each time so this will be called the dad diaries of paul cashin so today our first story that we're going to tell we're basically just talking about this at dinner and um i wanted to talk about it on the podcast i was like dad that's such a cool story like we need to we need to podcast about it and so i mean you can start prefaces however you want but um it's the story takes place in Berlin, which I recently talked about on a podcast with Kelly, how we went to Berlin and how we went to Germany. So I think that's like also just like crazy that like I've been to this place, but it was so different when I went just because of the history and the timeline than when my dad went when he was in his twenties. So yeah, you can take it away. How do you want to okay. start? However you want. Sure. Uh, so first off, I want to say I feel ripped off because I'm here on hostels in Hawaii, and everyone else who's been on it is in in a place with <laughs> beautiful sunsets and beaches and waterfalls and and volcanoes, and I'm sitting here in Arlington. Virginia. So I feel a little ripped off, but I guess we're But you getting... can't feel ripped off because I'm here with true. you. So you can't, you can't feel ripped off. But also that is true. Paul may come visit me when I go back. I very much hope to. And and I guess we are living vicariously by telling old travel stories of mine. And so even though I don't get to be in Hawaii now, I get to talk about some other fun trips I've taken exactly. uh, in my life. So you asked about and Berlin. And when we do the podcast in Hawaii with Paul, it's just going to go absolutely wild. Yeah. So it'll be so anticipated. This this podcast was highly anticipated, but the Paul Hawaii version will be off the charts. It, it's going to be like um, um, Ollie Frazier, too. It's going to everyone in the whole world. Everyone will be, watching everyone will be tuning in yeah, yeah, for yeah. the Dad Diaries Part 2, yep. Hostels in Hawaii. For real this time. Yes. But back to your question. Yeah. You asked about Berlin, I think. Yes. Uh, it, it's very cool for me because you got to go to Berlin uh, when you were... Um, I was 16. Yeah, no, I was 15. 15. I was 15. Yeah. And you, you were in Aachen and you took a trip to Berlin. And I was excited because I had been to Berlin, really enjoyed it. It's an amazing sort of, you know, uh, cosmopolitan city. But I was there back in 87, sort of similar to you. I was on a study abroad program with my college uh, and I was studying in a in a city called Mainz, Germany, but we took a one-week trip to Berlin. And when we were there, um, we the wall was still up. As I said, it was 87. And, it, and you know, for historic context, it came down in 89. But yeah. we were there and we had so to... Obviously, that's the biggest difference is when I was there that the wall was the wall taken was down. down. Right, right. So when Very I was there, wall. everyone was just looking at the wall and the graffiti on the wall yeah. and everyone was like, no, wow, this attraction. is so beautiful. Yeah, it's yeah. literally a tourist attraction now. But when Paul went, it was a real the wall was doing its purpose to keep right. people away from each other and to keep, you know, divide this country in half. So it's just right. like, it's wild, the purposes that it had. Like, now it's just like, everyone's like, oh, look at the pretty graffiti. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, just, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. so crazy, the difference. Yeah. But, I mean, it is a long time in between the time that Paul went and that I went. Yeah, and to put it into tragic perspective, when I was there and, you know, from the day it went up, if you were an East German and in an East Berliner and you tried to climb over, you'd be shot by guards who were there. So it's, it's you know, not just a, now as a tourist attraction where people go, isn't that yeah. cool and interesting? It's 
actually very is. morbid when you yeah, think it about is. it that way. Totally it's morbid. definitely, I mean, there there is a lot of sheer beauty to that wall. Like just the yeah. art and the creativity is that has now been put onto that structure and and the kind of like historical, just like the the what's the word I'm looking for? Like just like the there's a lot of creativity, and I think it almost demonstrates the wall over the years began to demonstrate the power of human creativity because there's this thing which is meant to you know keep a people in and and you know make sure they can't see their freedoms and yet the people all around it just paint beautiful murals and yeah. all kinds of creative stuff and and you know that's the lasting legacy fortunately that people get yeah. to see now but at the time it was you know something that you know sort of messed up their everyday lives and the the wall now represents like the freedom because it was yeah. taken down right. and it is like right. you can go back and forth and through and you can go anywhere you want in berlin so now it kind of like represents like the freedom that they got back yes. but then it totally represented a whole different thing yeah. and it's just i don't know yeah. listening to my dad talk about it i was like it's insane that my yeah. experience was just so completely different yeah. there and his was just it was just very crazy for me to hear about his. So I'll tell you a little bit about, you know, our experience. So we only went for one day because that was all you were allowed to go for. Um, and you could actually get on the metro, which, of course, had been built before the wall was there. And so get on at one stop, which was in West Berlin, Land of Freedom, and you know, go over to East Berlin. Before you did, you had to go through customs. And, you know, normally we're used to customs at an airport, but this was customs on a metro. And as soon as you got off, they forced you to exchange uh, a certain amount of money, which to me at the time, it was like roughly 20 or $25, just seemed like, well, that's fine. That's what we'd spend as tourists in a day. But yet there was nothing to spend money on. I mean, it's a cliche about communist societies, but like you'd go into the supermarket and they're like, you know, one or two beat up apples or, you know, a green orange. And, and wait, really quickly, can you give like the backstory of like yeah. why the wall was built and then yeah. like what happened on both of the yeah. differing sides of the walls? Yeah. So basically the wall was built uh, as a result of the Cold War with uh, the Soviets, the former Soviet Union and the Western powers. And they said, we're going to split. They had a treaty which said, we'll split the city of Berlin, even though the city of Berlin was in East Europe. They were basically giving one half of Berlin to the Westerners and and the other half, the east side of Berlin, to, to the Soviet power. Um, because East Germany was a satellite company, company, satellite country of uh, the former Soviet Union. And so they, in 1960, I think it was, uh, you know, just started building a wall very quickly. In the first, you know, few days and weeks when it was being built, people tried to get out because they said, you know, we're going to have trouble getting out of here at all once this thing goes up and they'd be shot by guards. Um, and it became, in most places, a sort of double wall where there were two big concrete walls and a sort of a uh, no man's land in between and if you were anyone who went in that no, no man's land and you weren't supposed to be there unfortunately guards would see you and and you know take you out um but it's wild that that was going on and then they did later on let tourists just come in you'd right. think that they would think maybe some of the tourists might be trying to break their friends out or well right they were always scared about that and so they were very they you know had uh spies who were making sure that uh you know these germans weren't talking too much to the people who came in and and you know they had paperwork that wouldn't enable them to get out but the main reason they wanted tourists to come in is they would make money off of them you know they forced them to you know exchange 25 yeah. bucks of theirs and they'd have to spend it there and one of the things that was amazing to me it was just the look and feel of the two cities if you think of east berlin and west berlin as two cities west berlin in the late 80s was a you know vibrant 
thriving city like any other, like Paris or London or New York or whatever. Um, and as soon as you went over to East Berlin, it looked like literally, if you think about a movie where it's in color and then there's some scene yeah. change and they drain all the color out so that's yeah. black and white. That's like, what it was like. This is now 15 years later in the right. dystopian society right, right, of what right, you just right. saw. It's like you literally like that. Dystopian, like all the you know the apartment buildings were like mostly like five, eight story buildings that were just gray and crumbling. And you know now fast forward 30 some odd years, uh, um, East Berlin has become a vibrant part of the city and sort of a hip, trendy place mm-hmm. to go because artists have moved in and so forth. And and, yeah. and it's part of... You Which know, is incredible that they could turn it around yeah, to yeah. be something yeah. amazing. And I, I think it would be fascinating if you were a Berliner to see that um, transformation over you know the and days and weeks the because time. if you just come 10 years later all of a sudden things look better but to but be yeah, there to and have see just stayed there I mean I feel like if I lived there when the wall was up I would move out as soon as the were you down. when you went aware what part when you were in West Berlin and when you were in East Berlin or no yeah. you were yeah I think so I mean I uh, I remember the it's funny because I was on an exchange program it's also this was so long ago so I can't yeah. really remember exactly what was going through my Your head long ago is like three years ago yeah. my long ago is 30 years that's ago that's yeah. true but I mean three years ago is, is a long time in my life yeah. but I do remember that on the the exchange program that I was on so I was on the German exchange program me and Kelly talk all about it in like two podcasts prior so go listen to that if you want to hear about you know our experience with that but interesting interestingly enough they actually didn't have that wasn't a part of their program like we went there on our own time they gave us like two three hours of free time and they were just like just do whatever you want and we were like like, we're gonna go see the Berlin Wall but it's crazy I wonder why they didn't because I feel like that's like we went to Berlin. I feel like it's crazy to not see the Berlin Wall. Right. Well, now one of the biggest tourist attractions is a thing called the Brandenburg Gate, which was one of the entry points between East and West Berlin. Mm-hmm. And it's a pretty old gate that was there before. But but now it's like a symbol of freedom because you can yeah. pass easily and freely. But I wonder um, why they didn't put it is weird that, they didn't that make in that as part the, of the program. Like, I wonder if there was a specific reason. Like, they were well, like, this you know. I think now I haven't been to Berlin in many years, but I think from what I hear and and reading stuff, uh, I think the Brandenburg Gate is a touristy thing, like in the same way people go to the Eiffel Tower. It's like people just go show up and you see a bunch of you know people from the UK and Americans there, so it feels touristy. So the people who are in Berlin probably think that's sort of lame, mm-hmm. and then the rest of East Berlin they just see as part of the whole city. It's not a thing yeah. to go see. It's like. It's part of our city. There's no difference between East and West. We spent now. like our three or four hours or whatever it was, our free time. We spent, the, we we like biked to the wall, I'm pretty yeah, sure. Fun. Just like on our own. I think it was just me, Kelly, George, and Michael. We just biked to the wall and we just spent hours running around looking yeah, yeah. at all the different paintings. And like, we just like looked at every side, every paint. We were just like, whoa, look at this, look at this. And we thought it was the most interesting thing. But I don't think anyone else on our trip went. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm, I could be wrong. Maybe they went on their free time, but. It wasn't in our program, which is kind of crazy to me. You know, something about what you just said reminded me of something. And I think I probably told you this, but you may not remember. When I was there, this was in West Berlin uh, at the time. So a tiny bit of context. Uh, well, yeah, no, I'll just say uh, I went to the Philharmonic concert with our group, like like 10 of us or whatever. Uh, There's a very well-known Berlin Philharmonic uh, group, you know, one of the best orchestras in the world. We went to see them. And when I was coming out, it, it's, you know, like crowded because there are like maybe 4,000 people there. And uh, I just look up and I see what I think is my aunt. And I just hear in a very loud voice across the parking lot, 
Paul, what are you doing in Berlin? <laughs> Which is a bad imitation of her, but not actually that bad, if you matter. And it happened to be my Aunt Gloria. Aunt Gloria, if you're listening to this, yeah. Paul, that was well, not an impression of you. Aunt no, Gloria. no, no. Aunt Gloria, unfortunately, has passed away. She was my dad's <laughs> older uh, sister. And I shouldn't have said that. Oh probably, my God. What would she have been at the time? Maybe in her late 60s, early 70s. And she just happened, she lived in Connecticut. And at the time I was living in New Hampshire. And, you know, so I wasn't in touch with her frequently. So I didn't know she was taking a trip to Berlin. And I don't think she knew I was studying in Germany. And, yeah. and then the chance that we just meet, like we were getting on at a bus stop, two different buses going opposite ways. Yeah. And she said in that voice that I just poorly imitated. Wait, um, can you actually do it again? That was funny. <laughs> Paul, what are you doing in Berlin? <laughs> That's actually my impression of Mama doing it because Mama had met Aunt Gloria a bit and that was sort of her impression of her. So I'm blaming Mama. But anyway. Um, Sylvie, you heard it here yeah. first. But um, so then this is kind of a funny story. So I was with three of my friends and my and I see my aunt and talk to her for like two minutes and then her bus comes and she's going to leave. And I thought, well, that's kind of weird and rude for me not to do something with her, right? Mm-hmm. So we get on her bus and go with her and so I can talk to her and I mm-hmm. talk with her and, you know, whatever. We maybe have 10 minutes on the bus and then she goes, oh, this is where my hotel is. So she gets out and I, you know, say goodbye to her. And I was happy to have had that 10 minutes. It made it more memorable. But then me and my three friends are on the bus. We're just riding around going, we have no idea where we are. Like, we didn't think about it. We just said, yeah. let's get on that bus yeah. and talk to her. And again, we were in Berlin for only a week. And this was maybe, it was probably our first night because I think they took us to the Philharmonic concert the first night. And so we're like, oh, Jesus. We were staying in a hostel, but we didn't know what the hostel's name was. And I also stayed in the hostel yeah, in Berlin. Yeah. And actually, we left our hostel at like midnight or 1 a.m., which yeah. we were not supposed and to do. They they no, 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 no. They just said like, don't leave the hostel past oh, yeah, like yeah, 11. Right, right, but it was like our last night. And yeah, we were like, so we need to explore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we just like left the hostel and we went and rode around on the bus system and on the metro like, yeah, yeah. like for all night long. I think we were probably out to like 4 a.m. and we actually found our hostel pretty easily again and we just like went and like looked at things at night because we thought and it was actually super memorable and fun i'm happy we did that but it's funny that like the parallel we're both we both stayed in the hostel we both are on the bus like not exactly sure we are but like just going with it you were going out late we were trying to we were worried that we couldn't get home in time because we figured i think the hostel probably closed up at midnight or something. We thought, yeah. if we don't get back by midnight, we're going to be locked out. And we basically just rode around. Probably our hostel was too. I don't know how we yeah. got back in, but we did. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if you just come and knock and go, please. I'll be sleeping on the street if you don't let me in. But... um uh, I think we just rode around on the bus until one of us saw something that was familiar looking. And so we jumped off and I don't think that was right. And we just walked away mm-hmm. and just started asking people, do you know where there's a hostel? Mm-hmm. And, you know, there wasn't just one hostel in Berlin, but there probably weren't a lot. So somehow we finally And it's funny that back. we're talking about hostels, hence the yes. name of the podcast. Look at that. We're not in Hawaii. Yes. We're not hostels at, in Berlin. We're not at my hostel in Hawaii. But yeah, yeah. Host, this maybe this podcast right. is hostels in right, Berlin. Right, right. But it is interesting because... The hostel in Berlin was the first hostel I ever stayed at yeah, yeah. in my life ever. And, and I what, loved... What did you think about it? I thought it was so cool. Yeah, yeah. I was like, this is such a cool concept. Um, obviously, it was very different from the experience I had in Hawaii because yeah. I was there much longer. And, like, definitely there was, you know, it was just... I was with a huge group of people at this hostel. So yeah. it's, it is very different if you travel through hostels with a huge group of people because yeah. the element of kind of, of, yeah, kind of meeting, meeting other people, people yeah. is a not as there as much not as a part of your experience there but i just remember thinking it was such a cool idea such a cool 
place. I loved, like, the kind of, I don't know, like, it has a summer camp feel to it, yeah, even yeah. in Berlin, like, yeah. just with all the bunk beds and everything. But I also remember that hostel was, like, being worked on, and there was, like, <laughs> there was, like, construction happening, and, like, it just didn't, it, the, no part of it was, like, wow, this is so nice. It was just, like, yeah, yeah. the energy there was very yeah. cool, and I just, I it's remember taking note of it. Yeah. yeah, I just remember taking note of that and being like, hmm, hostels, a cool thing to be, a cool place to be, a cool thing to do. Yeah, yeah. And then I would have never expected that hostels would become such a big part of my life, hence my gap year, spending yeah. so much time in one and, and meeting so many people through it. It's just very interesting yeah. that it all started in Berlin for me, really. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't even, I had no clue at the time my 15-year-old self would have yeah. never, I would have never been able well, to my guess. My first experience with hostels was somewhat close to your age uh, after high school. So I guess I was probably 18. I went with five friends and traveled around Europe and we stayed in hostels a lot of nights. And one of the things that I just think about, and I think you probably had, or I know you had this experience in Hawaii, is a lot of nights you'd just be hanging out and some man or woman would pull, or guy or girl would pull out a guitar and start playing. And, you know, the 20 people there would start singing or the five people there around a bonfire or whatever. And it's just a great vibe, you know, to literally how my band started. That's how the band started. And we, that happened to us all the time. I also feel like the coolest part about being in the hostel is like, you don't plan anything, you know, because I feel like usually when you're like planning a a party or a function or a gathering of people, it's like, okay, well, everyone's going to come together and we're going to do this thing or, oh, we're happy. You know what I'm saying? Like there's some element of planning, but with a hostel, everyone's just already together. And that's what's so beautiful about it is like, you're just together. So it doesn't really matter what you're doing. And usually there's never a plan, but usually something cool comes of the night. Like there's something always going down, something interesting always happening because you just have... Because most of the people are in the same age demographics. They're sort of similar and they you usually are traveling and touring around so want to have fun and go out and they don't have like a bunch of uh, responsibilities and one of the things that I know I was telling you about a few days ago is the the culture of hostels is a little more or a lot more um, sort of um, solid and big in Europe in that Mm -hmm. you know when we told people you were in Hawaii at a hostel the reaction was sort of like oh wow like that's distinctive a Mm -hmm. hostel right but in Europe there are a lot more hostels and they tend to be in cool like historic places and I think I was telling you that in uh, some of the Western European countries that have um, an obligation to do military service if you don't want if you know you're a pacifist or don't want to do military service you can choose to work in a hostel instead mm-hmm. uh, oh, and yeah. so I was like oh yeah. I'm so yeah. game what yeah. yes I'd be down with that you could probably do that in Europe now like you don't need to have the military yeah, service yeah, yeah. just go you know volunteer or work in a hostel that's, I honestly that's what I want to do yeah. in the spring slash summertime yeah. that is definitely on my radar of yeah. things to do so maybe uh, next year this show is called Hostels in Zermatt or Hostels yeah. in Vienna or wherever it is. Or hostels in Berlin. Yep, yep, that's right. But yeah, yep. okay, tell us about the, because I just thought this was the most interesting part of kind of the whole Berlin experience for you when you crossed over into yeah. the wall about the girl that you met. Yeah. Um, so uh, um, we went to a museum that's a famous museum, the Pergamon Museum. And now it's, you know, as as Berlin is one city, you know, a museum that, tons of tourists will go to but it has great ancient greek collections and stuff we were there looking at the museum really enjoying ourselves and there were various people around the museum um uh you know just as information people you know to ask where the bathroom is or where the you know the wing of 
Greek antiquities is, are or whatever. And I remember I asked one guy, uh, and this is going to sound cliched, but it's you know the absolute truth. Uh, asked one guy some question about something, and he just didn't even respond. He just like shook his head no at me. And uh, at first I thought maybe my German's really bad or whatever, but uh, uh, I asked him a couple more times, and he definitely got it. And he, then he basically said to me in German, "I don't care. I don't." care what you're doing. And I realized the sort of uh, disincentivizing power of communism because this guy's like, yeah, I'm 25 and I'm going to be at this job for the next 40 years sitting at an information desk. I don't, I'm not getting any great raises if I help people with stuff. But then we met a, another woman who was probably in her 20s and sort of very cosmopolitan seeming. And she spoke to us immediately in English because she was excited to practice her English. And, uh, you know, uh, since mama's a distance, I could say this now, but she was a very attractive woman and seemed cosmopolitan. I'm telling Sylvia. Yes. And so my friend, a couple of friends and I were, you know, sort of excited to chat with her and she just had interesting things to say. And she was telling us all her impressions of places in the U.S. And we said, well, you know, are you planning on taking a trip there anytime soon? And she said, no, not not for a while, but I want to. And she went on to tell us all the places she wanted to go. And my sort of ignorant, even though I probably knew this deep down, it didn't dawn on me, my thought was, oh, she's a young person, doesn't have that much money, has to wait to save up money mm-hmm. to go. And so I said to her at some point, well, when are you thinking you of going? You guys were encouraging her. You were like, you yeah, should we come, were, yeah, you should, should come. come. We are like, you let's can stay with it, us if you're it. in Philadelphia or whatever. Yeah. And and she said, okay, that would be great. And uh, she said, I pla- we asked her when she's planning on going. She said, when I'm 65. And then it dawned on me that the rules at the time were you were not allowed to leave Eastern Bloc countries. Uh, but then there was an exception when you became 65 because they figured you're old enough. You're not part of the, the workforce that we need and so forth. So with if you petitioned, you could get to leave when you were 65. Mm-hmm. So this woman, if she was 25, had 40 years to wait for this place that she had read about and seen in movies and so forth to try to go to the places she wants actually insane yeah like it makes me it makes me so grateful that we are allowed to go travel the world and we're allowed to go see other places and we don't have to stay here for the next 40 years of our lives and honestly it made me feel a little guilty and and sort of entitled and stupid because i thought here i am in berlin and yes i've read about it i've studied some german culture but but i only you know looked at the you know, simplest things about Berlin. She had like read up so many books about New York City and San Francisco and Boston and had all these things that she wanted to do. And I'm like, oh, I just heard there's one good museum. I'll go to that. And, you know, she's like, here's, I spent my first day in Boston here and I'm going and, you know, but it was 40 years out. That's actually funny. The parallel to that to then also on my exchange program is that the German students who did did the exchange program versus the American students um, the German students were knew much more English yes, yes. than we knew German, yes. but they also knew much more about like our culture and much more like they had more things that they they had more questions they had yeah. more interest they had you know like they were like okay so what's you know what's American school like do you guys ride the school bus what's you know like they had all these questions. Yeah. And for us, and you're like, gosh, I, why don't I have all those questions and, and about there? And so, I mean, when I when I got there to Germany, I was asking all those questions yeah. to the exchange students, yeah. but I didn't have them before I went. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They exactly. they had That's all exactly of them before. They like, couldn't wait to find yeah. out how do we yeah, get to yeah. school they, and what do we eat at school and, and what's and and what's a yeah and they're like and what's a you know what's a high school dance like? Yeah, yeah. And for me, I was like, oh yeah, like wait. 
like what's the German club like once I got there I was like wait let's I want to know I want and I I did become very curious and I do think that I tried to take you know I tried to get the the best experience out of that experience and isn't that the universal theme of traveling is to to pique your curiosity on everything it just makes you a more curious human yeah you know and I've, I've always been a curious person so like I definitely did want to learn as much as I could from these kids and yeah. I like I loved those kids like I love the German students yeah. like we I did become very close with a lot of them um and actually one of them dm'd me and says she listened to the the oh, um awesome. German podcast with me and Kelly yeah. and and now we've just been like talking and she's on a gap year she's really cool her name's Judith shout out Judith um was she the one who's here I remember it yeah, was she remember? was yeah yeah I remember Judith yeah, yeah. she's awesome so yeah shout out her I hope she listens to this um but but yeah it's just crazy because I it made me feel really bad that you know they were so much more ready for this experience yeah, and yeah. had so many had had put more thought ahead of time you yeah. know and it I guess just living in the United States sometimes I think we become like I don't know how to describe it yeah many other countries because one you can stay in the United States all your life have lots of places to go and so some some Americans or a fair amount of Americans think I never need to leave mm-hmm. here. But in most other countries, people want to see other parts of the world. And, but it's uh, wild to me because I feel like I think that all the other parts of the world are so much more like interesting and stuff. Because yes, yes. I guess the grass is always greener. But yeah, I do think yeah, there's yeah, kind yeah. of this like this. Well, I mean, also in in German schools and in just schools in Europe and just any any other country, they learn way more about yes. like american culture which is just so fascinating because in our school system it's way more focused on just our culture and our history and and yes we do learn about other places and just we we do get that experience but just so much less to an extent than than other places learn about us and i just think that's so interesting and i i want to try to like break through that and and learn more about all other places as much as i can and i think yeah, I mean that's why I like talking to you about your travels and stuff too because it's like you you've learned so much through your travels. You know what's and- funny? Here's another you know interesting cap to that story. So I was there again in '87, and as we know historically, the Berlin Wall came down in '89, so just two years later. But when I left, I thought leaving, you know this woman was not going to be able to leave her country for 40 years yeah. to get the trip she wants. And over the, across the next two years, I thought about her a lot. You know, I yeah. thought, man, I get to travel where I want and she's not going to have that experience. But shockingly, and this is sort of a thought of you never know how things will go in life and in the world. Uh, two years later, the wall comes down. And if she had the money and time, she could have yeah. come and made that trip. I wonder if she did. Yeah, I wondered. I wondered a lot. Do we know her did. name? Should we look no, her up I or something? No <laughs> uh, dang it. It's Judith. No, it's not. <laughs> what? She she never aged. <laughs> no, but that that <laughs> no, but that is that is crazy. And yeah. I hope she did get to yeah. travel and go all the places that she wanted yeah. to go. But you want to hear another funny quick part about yeah. Berlin? And this is just me, the Paul who thinks about money a lot. Uh, um, <laughs> Paul who thinks so about money again, a lot. Again, we uh, frugal guy. Uh, we yeah, my to, dad's the most frugal man. I feel like I've said this before on the yeah. podcast, but Paul is literally the most frugal man I've ever met in my life. Yeah. And I am my father's daughter. Yeah, I nice. like to be frugal as well. That's what makes me most proud. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we had to exchange this 25 marks. Uh, we went into some supermarket because we were still in sort of, you know, high, uh, college travel mode where we we're trying to be cheap. So we're like, well, buy a bunch of food at the supermarket. It's barely any food. And it was so cheap that we couldn't spend much. So we still had probably like, 22 or three marks left right and then 
uh, there was a tower, which you may have seen called the Fernseer Tour, which is TV tower. And it was sort of like one of these uh, touristy things like in Toronto or the Space Needle, you know, where you go up and get a view. And so our sense of that was it's going to be really expensive up there. Uh, so we've got this money. We can maybe afford it. Right. And we go up. And again, it's like this fancy tower that 360 revolving restaurant gives you views of all Berlin. And, you know, if you went to a place like that here, it'd be like $15 for a cocktail or whatever. We went, it was like 40 cents for hot cocoa, you know, a dollar for uh, um, a nice fancy dessert, like a banana split or whatever. So we went out, the three of us who had been traveling sort of poor and frugally uh, for the last four months and we just bought everything and anything we wanted and had drinks and stuff and we're like that's awesome and we were done and we thought that'll kill all our money but still we had like 10 marks left over so we're like god what do we do and we were walking around like half an hour saw a bowling alley and that's not something we would have normally done but we were like oh let's go bowling because we've got free money right and we went into the bowling alley for whatever reason even though drinks and food was cheap in this touristy tower bowling was like ten dollars a game we couldn't afford it and it it sort of was an early lesson for me of how uh, you know, things are sometimes skewed. You, you you generally think of your country and like, you know, um, you know, uh, filet mignon is expensive, but pasta is cheap. But, you know, in other countries, sometimes yeah. if they have filet mignon sometimes all over the place, bowling is 10 times right, more expensive than a banana split. Right, right. It literally was. Bowling was the price of like 15 banana but it's splits. It's interesting that for some people, a banana split could be the value could be 10 times more than bowling right, right it's just interesting how that all works also as you were saying that i remember this is so random but one time our family do you remember this our family was visiting our family in philly and we were driving i think i don't know i think on the way home from our trip or something but as we were driving yeah, yeah, we i saw a bowling alley on the side of the road and i went mom and dad pull over we're going bowling and yeah, i yeah. just remember they were like for real and i was like for real and they were like and my parents were just very cool so they were like all right let's pull over and we went bowling and it was such a funny like memorable thing that our family and it was like a really cool bowling alley i remember yeah. there was a lot of neon and paul yes, loves neon yes, and it was just it was a cool like ass place i don't know i, I just really like it's a good little family memory shout out to grandma june that was we were heading from her place yeah. into the city to do stuff we saw the bowling alley and for whatever reason decided that i think we had like <laughs> we a said it's time no we did not uh, no i mean at, for dinner later oh, we're gonna yeah. go for dinner so oh. we're like well we got time to that, i think that was i think we went to the top of the tallest building in philly yeah i remember that whose name i'm forgetting but the, that was cool we also remember we went to that singing restaurant where they yeah, sang yeah, to yeah, you yeah. when they brought you your food yeah we went to a restaurant in south philly and i'm gonna forget the name but it's been there for years and they sing opera to you when they bring you your food i remember it was a really intense experience because yeah. it just it, they were like handing you like this like beautiful desserts and like singing yeah, yeah. right to you and it was just it was nice but it was just intense you know what one of the things that struck me about that place is i think in in many other places if you had a the shtick out of a restaurant where someone sings to you it would be like bad singing but this was all like yeah. great operatically trained people because they were from you know, nearby schools like Philadelphia College of the Performing Arts and so forth. They were insanely good, actually. Yeah, and I was like, good. wow, they that is that is an insane job because being a waitress or a waiter is already enough. hard yeah. enough. But now yeah. you have to be trained in opera. That's yeah. just like insane. Yeah. But yeah. I guess if you're well enough trained, that just comes second nature. And then the tough yeah. thing is, you know, 
getting the pastas out to people. <laughs> yeah, but it was it was uh, just good memories from that trip overall. But yeah, I love the stories from Berlin, and I love the stories from Paul's young twenties, him and his friends um, traveling through Europe. So we will come back to you with more stories soon, and I hope you guys enjoyed this part of dad diaries paul podcast and we will be back bye bye all thanks for having me Zoe. <laughs> okay and we are back with dad diaries with paul cashin and zoe cashin and today we're gonna talk about a little we're gonna give you a little story from paul's childhood because um i love hearing about his the shenanigans he got up to yeah. when he was a kid and i also think it's just interesting too to hear like the parallel from like what it was like when you were a kid yeah. and what it's like growing up you know my childhood in in this time in life and everything and i just i just find it all very interesting so take it away paul yeah. what's the story for today so zoe asked me to uh share a story or two of my childhood so that's cool um uh and you know you referenced like how it's different between your childhood and my childhood and this is going to be cliche because a lot of people mention it but one of the differences is you had um, to walk uphill, uphill and yeah, in molasses there and in back right, right. to go to school it was four ways to school it was <laughs> double round trip somehow no, i had to go to school twice every single day i don't no, know I think, why i think there's been a change in parenting in that you know my generation now as parents you know there's a lot of talk about helicopter parenting and kids are more scheduled up so it's like you know i know where my kid is i follow their phone whatever uh our parents were much more relaxed and you know sort of created a sense of independence in us you know for like summer days i would usually leave the house whenever my friends were ready to do something. You didn't have phones, so it no, kind didn't of. Have phones. I think the, obviously the biggest like change has to be phones because right. nowadays almost every single that kid has cell a phone. We yes, didn't have cell phones. I'm not yes, that old. Yes, yes. <laughs> cell phones, but like every, almost every single kid has a cell phone, yeah. and so their parents can track them if they want, yeah. and they can text them and be like, "Be home at this time," and you have to go home. You guys didn't have that, right, so you could right. just leave, if and you fun, your parents, like, you're like, "Don't ever go into a house because no one can call." No me one can tell you exactly, and no one can figure out where you are but also tell you most parents of, of that generation and you know uh, uh, you know my parents included which was great because they they treated us with some independence you know and said we trust that you get back for you know they'd say if we're having dinner together tonight you'd be back by seven o'clock uh, that was it and you were just gone until seven but you were expected to be back but um uh, you know, so that's a big difference. But, uh, you know, on a lot of days, uh, say, for instance, the summer, if my friends were, you know, up at 10 o'clock, we just in the morning, we just get up, start doing stuff and, you know, keep doing stuff until midnight or all sit around and talk till whenever. Um, and, you know, whoever's house you're at, you'd be like, oh, do you want to stay for dinner? Sure. OK, I'll stay here. And, you know, since there were no phones, a lot of times you didn't even end up telling your parents and, and you know, they were like, I wonder if someone will come by for dinner. You but, would just like come home in the morning. You'd be like, "Hey, mom and dad, yeah, like I seen at Jackson's older. house." Yeah, yeah. As I got older, definitely. It's but so much easier to sneak around and sneak out and yeah, yeah. do all that stuff. Yes, and we did a fair amount of Paul that. Paul did not but, partake in anything no, like no. that. I did. I probably partook in a lot of that. But since this is, I want to keep this, uh, you know, PG thirteen and. Uh, make sure no one ends up in jail for anything here. Uh, I'll just share a story of one of the things we did an awful lot uh, during summertime. Stickball. Stickball, that's right. We're talking stickball. Do you have, have you ever heard that song about no, baseball? Sing it, give it to us. We're talking baseball. Babe and Willie and the Duke or something like that. I can't remember how it goes, but anyway. That was lovely. Was Thank you for that rendition yeah. of We're Talking Stickball. Yes, yeah, so we used to joke and I sang that, you know, talk about the kids we played stickball with. But most often we played 
uh, stickball with uh, really just four of us, uh, my friends Tom and Scott, who are brothers, and our friend Chris. And uh, we had a couple fields in our neighborhood. One of them sort of became the go-to field, but there were different places that worked well for the bases being out, and we would like take chalk and draw the bases on. In fact, I think we painted on second base at one point. But basically all we needed was on the street a home plate and second base and then on the sides of the street were first and third and we would play with tennis balls as the balls and and sticks which we would actually take uh they were the backup sticks for the evening at the golf course near us uh marion golf course we would take the sticks out and and you know we would scalp them like we were working for the greatest thing we were like it had to be the right size the right thickness you know and we would see a stick that looked good we were like oh we got a new bat that this is, is a sick great. ball bat that for sure awesome bat because there were some that was so thin like you could never really hit it there were some that were thick enough they were too heavy but when you get the right one you know you'd be hitting well for the next two months and it was fun but so frequently we would play if you can believe this over a bunch of years, the same teams every time. Me and my friend Scott against uh, our friends Tom and, and Chris. And Wait, are these the friends that you all had nicknames for each other? Yes, we did. Can you tell us the nicknames? <laughs> uh, let's see if I remember. Yeah, let's see. It was uh, Scared Scott, uh, Small Paul, Tom Dumb. <laughs> Small Paul. <laughs> Tom Dumb and Chris Piss. Um, wow, those are lovely. Yeah, this we seems were, we like were, lovely names. We were super mature. <laughs> Wait, that's so funny. I forgot that they called you Small Paul. Yes. Scared Scott, Chris Piss. That might be the worst one. That's, yeah, that's the Well, Tom, Tom Dumb, Dumb. Uh, I think is, I would be sad if my is, nickname was, was Zoe Dumb. So it was only an okay. ironic nickname. Tom okay. was not dumb at all. But um, Paul was the smallest yeah, of the bunch. Probably true. Yes. And Scott and Chris, was the scaredest. Chris, I'm sure, did piss and Chris, at some point. Chris probably pissed, as we all do. But wasn't scared scott wasn't he called that because he was the slowest and he would get the sca- <laughs> most scared wait are, am i like yeah, right yeah. that no, that you would sneak true. onto the golf yeah, course yeah, and yeah. he would get the most scared because he knew if you once you had to make a run for it that he would be the slowest <laughs> because he would be last and he would get caught so he was the most scared and that's why you called him scared scott right i am only laughing because that's absolutely true <laughs> boy i hope he never hears this <laughs> so i'm no, gonna send no, this directly no. to scott no. hey scared scott yeah. listen to this podcast yeah uh, just as Tom knew he wasn't dumb, Scott knew he wasn't fast. So yes, that, that is all accurate. But anyway, we played the same teams, me and Scott against Chris and Tom, you know, over and over and over again. It was really fun. And a couple things I might share is one time we played um, on one of our other fields and a woman who was not very friendly in the neighborhood yelled at us to get out of the street and not play in front of her house. And so we were pretty uh, upset. And you know how you might be when you're like 13 and sort of righteous indignation like she can't tell us not to be in the street it's a public place we were mad at her and we got tp and and tp at her house um and that's sort of the pg version if i really told you exactly what we did uh it might not be so good we'll just leave it at that there was some toilet paper involved and chris might have pissed yeah right 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 um uh so anyway we played you know literally years uh of this and i i would also just share that um I actually wrote my college to get it at my college, my essay to get into college uh, about uh, stickball. And just to share very quickly, the idea was when we first started playing and I was younger, like whatever, I can't even remember when we did, like say I was 11 or something, I used to uh, not be very confident about catching the ball in the outfield. Like I, I mm-hmm. thought, you know, it was 50 50 about whether I'll catch it or drop it. And so I used to sort of stand in the outfield a little scared, like hopefully we get an out you know, which someone growls out to the pitcher. I don't have to catch it, right? And 
as I sort of, as we played over the days, weeks, months, and years, I began to realize there's no reason to be scared. In fact, if anything, I want it to come to me because that's how I get practice and I want to have the opportunity to make a great play. And I sort of went through this transition of hoping it wouldn't be hit at me because I might drop it to hoping it would be hit to me because uh, I'd get more practice and I would feel confident catching it to an even further thing of hoping it would be hit not near me so I could run and go fast and yeah, make a like great have like catch a challenge. and have the challenge of the toughest catch ever or whatever. And, you know, I, I, so I use that as a metaphor in my essay and, and talking about, you know, the way I thought about academic challenges or life challenges or whatever, and, you know, applying the stick ball mentality of, um, of, uh, you know, hoping the ball was hit like 20 yards away from me and I could make some great running catch. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, and the, and the reason I wrote that for college was not because I thought that was, you know, so particularly clever or, you know, uh, unique enough that the college would like it. But I just, you know, I wanted to write about something I cared about and thought about a lot and honestly spent too much of my life doing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there were literally days where we would go out and play like a couple games for three hours and it would get hot in the summer. And so we'd go in and maybe eat a little food, drink some lemonade and come right back out and play for four more hours. And and two, we would have this sense of like, you know, if it got dark at 830, we could play till like 845 because you could play while you could still sort of see the ball. And uh, so, you know, sometimes we would probably play for seven or eight hours a day, yeah. um, which is kind of crazy to think yeah. about. But I'll just wrap this up by saying at some point, I think my friend Tom gave me one of the bats. And so mm-hmm. this is from literally like the early 80s so the bat must be 40. tom dumb if that's anyone right, is following right. the nicknames this is so tom dunn dumb who handed the that bat is to correct. Ball. so this bat must be 40 years old and it's sort of like like an old dog-eared book that you love it's sort of fraying at the seams uh you know like little chips of it falling off but we have as as you know we've used it in this neighborhood over the last right that's what i was gonna say years. so the coolest yeah. part about the story is that my dad told me and my sister about how he used to play stickball all the time and he showed us like this is the bat that we used to play with and he was like we should get some of the kids in the neighborhood together and we're lucky enough to live in like a really awesome neighborhood where there's a bunch of kids running around yeah. and there's just a lot of cool families that we're close with and stuff and so we would always call up all our friends we would just be like stick ball at two o'clock like be there every yeah, square yeah. like and we would just always go usually on like the same side street um and we would always just get like a big group of people and play stick ball and we got like a bunch of different families parents would come play siblings like it would yeah, always be I was cool. thinking about that at one point like we we haven't played a ton but let's say we if we have played yeah, 10 or 20 We haven't times. done it recently. Yeah, we but, haven't played for several but years. But we, we will. We're we, going to. Yeah, yeah. We, we haven't done it recently, obviously, because COVID but and college thinking... and things and, and gap years and things. But when we were younger, like when we were in middle and high school, yeah. we did this and it was so much fun. But I was thinking about this a little while ago and thinking over the games we've played here in this neighborhood in, in Arlington, how many people in the neighborhood do you think have played? I, I would bet it could be as many as 50 people because, yeah. you know, each game there would be different people. You know, it's like we had seven people this time, but the next time we had eight people and only two of them were the same. And, yeah. you know, because we've had parents play. We've had people who walked by and just yeah. said, we said, do you want to take a swing? And they played. And, you know, I, I bet if we counted it out, we'd probably find 40 or 50 people who've played, which yeah. is cool. We could maybe even play today. It's getting dark. It's getting dark, but you know from earlier in my story, we got 15 minutes after the sunset, and it's really nice out today. So maybe we'll go play. But it it definitely is like just a very cool like tradition that Dad passed on to me and Mia. And I told you I was like I want to have that bat 
and give yeah, it to yeah. my kids when I'm older. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really like the bats are just cool because they're not normal bats. Like they're just these like wooden sticks, basically like wooden pole sticks. Yeah. The thing about the bat is it's a little thicker. One of the sort of uh, cliches of, of kids growing up in the uh, city in, in like Brooklyn and, and New York and Philadelphia and Baltimore and places like that is they take a broom handle. But most broom handles are so thin that you end up like, you know, missing it three quarters of the time but these bats are just a little thicker probably 50 percent bigger than a broom handle and and so work a lot better because more people can hit but still it's a it's an acquired skill to be able to yeah. you know hit you know the ball without just like tipping it or fouling yeah. it or um, and it's funny because when we first started to play like nobody was as good as hitting the ball with that particular bat than dad was because he had so much practice <laughs> so much but practice. then as we started to play more people got the hang of like right. using that sort of that and like it we did have some really good games on like summer yeah. days and like fall days with the leaves falling and just us yeah. like definitely some really good memories i and i love it i love that it was a part of your childhood and now it's well, been a part so of my too. say wrap the podcast and let's go out let's and go take some play series. some ball play yeah ball. um but yeah that that is our story for the day i hope you guys enjoyed with the dad diaries and we will be back with another story soon see ya bye bye Okay, and we are back with the Dad Diaries. Zoe and Paul are back again, and Paul actually remembered something from... So the last story we were talking about was Stickball and him, you know, his childhood growing up, and he told me that he remembered something funny, but he won't tell me what it is, but he wants to add to the story. So... Take it away, Paul. Okay. Hello, everybody. Uh, Thanks for asking, Zoe. So, um, one I was like, can you tell me now? He was like, nope, nope. Went to the podcast. Yeah, just just to refresh people's memories, uh, you know, I played stickball as a kid, probably from the age of ten to eighteen. You know, up until I went off to college. And in fact, I referenced this last time that one of my college essays was about stickball and and getting more confident about um, uh, catching the ball because I wasn't good at first, and then being confident, and then taking the third step, as I see it, of wanting the ball to be hit far away from me so that I could run and make a great catch. Uh, So uh, having told that uh, on the last podcast, I was reminded of something that at some point in this journey, as I got better and better, I was the confident person standing out there hoping the ball would be far away from me. Uh, I was standing out in the outfield, which essentially was the middle of a street, and someone hit a ball to my left, and it was far away and I was so excited I went flying towards it I was going really fast and um, there was a a tree like a fir tree there pretty much essentially like a Christmas tree that we used to uh, it used to be like maybe three feet tall and so we would use it to practice to jump over it Mm -hmm. and so as I got toward the ball and the tree uh, sort of concurrent times I thought, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to be able to jump up, make the catch, and clear the tree. And it's going to be like the greatest catch ever, right? So in my mind, this was just working out perfectly. I'm going super fast. I jump up. I catch the ball. And literally the only thing I can remember was just all of a sudden feeling enveloped with with like pine needles sticking into me everywhere i could feel them on oh, my face horrible. my legs and just everywhere i didn't didn't know what was happening i was like oh my god i'm like surrounded by things poking me and prodding me uh and then next thing i knew i was on the ground lying down and the ball was still in my hand and uh my friends rushed up did you knock did, over the, did you break the tree 
Well, you're going to find <laughs> out. <laughs> I didn't know yet. Um, Sorry. That's uh, no, that's right. Uh, uh, my three friends who we always played with were standing there looking sort of amazed and also laughing. In fact, I remember specifically my one friend, Chris, who always had a hearty, like, uh, uh, big, uh, infectious laugh, was just cracking up. He, could, he couldn't even stand. He was laughing so hard. He was, like, on the ground, rolling around. And I was like, what happened? And they said, I went running toward the tree. And in my mind, I had jumped up, caught the ball, like, right as I was going over the tree. But they said, I caught it, like, maybe two steps before the tree. <laughs> and, and I was still going fast. And so I guess I had in my mind jumping this tree was a good idea. And I couldn't stop anyway. And, and what I had failed to realize was when I had jumped over this tree, you know, for fun, was probably like two years ago. And it, it had grown. It was probably like seven or eight feet tall now, oh. like the size of a, you know, a full-on Christmas tree. And uh, they said, I just went up into the center of it, and the tree bent over like at, 45 degree ang- at a 45-degree angle. And they said I sort of disappeared into the tree. And then like a split second later, the tree... Uh, did a slingshot back to upright and threw me back out. <laughs> As they said, it looked like I had run into this tree and it gobbled me up and then spit me back out. And That's such a funny image. And, you know, honestly, I, I was only really shocked. I wasn't hurt at all. And we were all just cracking up. And my friend Chris kept going, it looked like a man-eating tree. It looked like it just sucked you in and spit you out. And at first we thought, like, the tree might snap, but it literally, like, went over like a, you know, a, the tree was stronger than you. It was a great, a great lesson to learn that yeah. nature will always prevail. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and hug a tree. So I feel like this is, you know, a Christmas story. If I were a movie studio, I'd put this out as a Christmas yeah. movie because it was a Christmas-like tree. That yeah, was. that's so funny. I can totally picture yeah. that. It was such good imagery. Love that story. So that's, you know, just added on to the last story that we're talking about. But today we're going to talk about Paul's college experience. And Paul, I'll do the... I'll do the flexing for him. Paul attended Dartmouth, <laughs> and um, it's funny because whenever anyone brings up Dartmouth, you know, Dad's like, "Oh, I went there." And yeah. it's just, it's just very fun to see how proud of his college he is. Um, so yeah, he went to Dartmouth, and a big part of his college experience was singing in the a cappella group, and he sung for the Dartmouth Airs. And I feel like if you know anything about me and my family, and um, it's just that we love to sing and that we love the Dartmouth Airs and we have all of their CDs and we still listen to them and we can get into the sing-off and all of that stuff because that's really interesting as well. But um, but yeah, it's a huge part of my dad's college experience and I feel like it's become a huge part of my life as well because we're so, our whole family just loves the Dartmouth Airs and loves acapella and singing and we sing all the time. So I'm very grateful that you know, you join that group because it's, I'll probably, I'll probably try to do something similar in college. I think it's really cool. So give us, give us your stories, dad. Okay. So this is back in 1915, I think a while ago. No, this is in the eighties. I uh, showed up on campus in Hanover, New Hampshire, uh, going to Dartmouth and, and had actually sung a lot in a chorus in high school. And my friends and I had started an acapella group in high school and we sang. And now when I listened, we thought we were amazing at the time. Now when I listened to it, it's just dreadfully brutal but 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 it gave us 
good practice. And, and it was, you were having fun, so who cares? Yeah, yeah, we were having a ton of fun. I think we were fun on stage, most likely, because mm-hmm. <laughs> we were all best friends and definitely had a lot of fun with it. But anyway, so I got to college, and I thought I'd really like to continue to do that because it's really fun. I tried out my freshman fall, and there were probably about 100 people who tried out, and only two made it, and I was one of the 98. So that was a bummer because I had seen this group uh, freshman week sing. I thought he was one of the two. Nope. Yeah, yeah. One of the nope. 98. It's not the way it's going to go. Um, so uh, I had seen them sing in freshman week and I got their album and I saw them around campus and they, they just were so good. They had a lot of charisma on stage. Musically, they sounded great. They were doing fun arrangements. It's what I wanted to do. But um, there was also a it's an all-male group, I should say. There was also a co-ed group, and I tried out for them, and I got in, and I sang with them. And, uh, you know, I think they're great now, but at the time, in the late 80s, uh, they were not so good, and it was not a great experience for me because, honestly, we were probably almost as bad as my high school, high school group uh, was. So... Um, I'm saying something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway... Uh, sang with them for like six months or so. And usually this group, the Dartmouth Airs, only uh, has auditions uh, once a year. So I thought, gosh, I'm going to have to wait till sophomore year to try again. Uh, but it turned out they had a couple people off campus, you know, uh, doing foreign study programs. And they needed uh, one or two more people. And they had spring auditions. And so I auditioned again. And it is amazing. This time there were maybe like 60 or 70 people who auditioned. And uh, our additions would would um, take, you know, probably like 10, 12, 14 hours because we would start usually at five or six at night and then have everyone sing. Uh, you'd have to sing a song, um, learn your part and then sing with three of the guys in the group. Uh, so four part harmony. You'd have to sight read stuff. Uh, you'd have to um you know, sing along with the whole group, just a bunch of different things and do scales to see what your range is and stuff like that. Um, And uh, one of the things that uh, I always remember is at the end, when all the singing was done, they would just say, now tell us a joke. And part of it was they were just trying to get a sense of how, you know, comfortable you were in front of a group and, you know, how good you might be on stage with doing stuff. Uh, So, um, I don't remember what I told, but I ended up telling some story or something, and I think you know uh, they liked it. But but anyway, uh, sometimes was a good storyteller. <laughs> sometime, thank you. Sometime around uh, one or two in the morning, all the singing and joke telling was done, and they said okay, and and they had already eliminated some people, and they said to a small group of I don't know four or five people, now go home, but go back to your dorm room, fall asleep. You know, but just leave your door unlocked, leave it open, and we'll come and let you know one way or the other if you made it. Uh, I since learned that for the people who didn't make it, they came around and said, thank you so much for going through all this. You know, it was a long time and keep your chin up because we thought you were really good to make it that far and try again and all that stuff. But I fell asleep and uh, was totally out like a light and probably sometime around four or five in the morning, uh, the group came around and I could hear sort of noise outside my door and it sounded like a lot of people. So I was excited because that seemed like a good thing. And all of a sudden, just in the pitch black, the door opens up and a song starts. And the tradition of the group was to sing uh, the song somewhere from West Side Story uh, to the, the people who made it. And I'll tell you, it was one of the more magical moments of my life hearing 
in in pitch darkness you know great blended sounds of the song somewhere and and of course every person who gets into the group has a similar type experience because we do that as a group for everyone and so that song has just great meaning for uh folks who are in the group uh and i remember uh when they finished uh they all came over and congratulated me shook my hand and stuff and i looked outside my dorm room and again it was four or five in the morning and there were probably like 30 people standing outside listening Mm -hmm. to the song because you know they heard this commotion and I think they were all excited for me too Mm -hmm. because they you know most of them probably knew uh what was going on um and so that's that's how I got into the group and ended up singing for three and a half years with the group and Mm -hmm. you know another good friend of mine got in at the same time two of us got in and you know every just for the next three years on auditions, I always sort of felt for the people who were going through them because it could be a tough process. But I always was so excited for the people who would ultimately get in because I knew it would really kind of change their life as it did mine in terms of, you know, enjoying uh, college even more and, and, you know, just having something to look back on fondly for now 35 years later. Yeah. What do you think was the reason that you got in? Your singing abilities or the joke that you told? (laughs) Um... I think there are a lot of factors. I think one thing was I was a baritone and they were definitely looking for baritones. And so, you know, if 60 people applied, maybe only 10 of them were baritones. And so that was a smaller group. You know, I was, I was, uh, well, I know the joke was funny. I know yeah, the yeah, joke yeah. was funny. I know that, I, I, I know that put remember. you above the rest. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember. I mean, basically they just wanted to see people who would, you know, respond yeah. in some ways. Cause I now, you, you know. wanted to see if they were entertaining. Like, could you get up there in front of a group of people yeah, and make yeah. them laugh? Like, would you look comfortable on stage? That, like, makes a lot of sense. I think that stuff like that in audition processes, processes would is, like, very fun, and they yeah, should yeah. do more of that. I yeah, mean, yeah. I, I'm not, like, a pro of oh, auditions, but uh, I, I think it's cool. I have to say, so going, you know, for the next three or four years and, and auditioning people, I always put, in my mind, the biggest emphasis on how will this person be on stage for a couple of reasons. One, I think we were pretty focused on you know, our main goal was to entertain the crowd, right? And and I used to always say to people before we were going on stage, they'd be like, oh, I'm worried about this part of the song. I'd be like, no one in the audience knows, you know, <laughs> if we Just make get out there mistake, and have a good time. They and, know, yeah. Right. They know whether you're smiling, whether you say something funny, whether yeah. you look like you're having That's a good true. time. Yeah, yeah. As long as the overall sound is yeah. good. Yeah. It's like no one, you know, pretty unlikely that someone in the audience is going to be an acapella genius and it's going to be like right, oh they right, did right. not oh, hit gosh. that you yeah. know harmony or and, whatever and if there are you know two or three of those there are also 400 people who are just trying to yeah. watch and have fun so yeah. i think in answer to your question also, it's I think okay to not be perfect too in performing you know i think yeah, yeah. The, the exciting part of performing of that is yeah. that it's live right. and that you can see, you see the real people are you know up there giving it all they got you know so as yeah, long yeah. as you're up there and smiling and dancing i feel like that's so much better than worrying about every single note being perfect yeah, yeah yeah like in answer to your question i felt like i was a fairly mediocre singer but i felt very comfortable on stage i loved He's being humble joking around and stuff and it makes me think of a, a friend of mine in the group who was i think you know a, a fine singer but that wasn't his great strong suit but he was just very good on stage and i remember he once had a solo and in the middle of the solo he just forgot the words and he just started riffing with different words mm-hmm. about how he had no idea what he was singing about and mm-hmm. everyone in the audience loved it it was like the best time we'd ever sung that song because it was funny to watch him react yeah. in real time and, and, and react well. 
yeah, to having no, no idea what the words were. Awesome. <laughs> and then so that brings me to a story that I want to tell, which is many years later, Paul is now married, has kids, and he still has all the Dartmouth Airs CDs in his house, and his kids listen to them all the time. Mm-hmm. And then his good friend, Deke, am I saying his name right, Deke? Yeah. Okay. Though, though unfair to say good friend, but yes. <laughs> his friend. <laughs> a, guy in a guy he knows in college. Um, but... Yeah, basically, his good friend Deke, <laughs> his good friend Deke, um, decides that he's gonna start this show called The Sing Off, um, and The Sing Off was this acapella competition singing, uh, what contest thing? I, I, don't I think it was you know the easiest way to describe it is it's like The Voice or American Idol yeah. for acapella groups. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's funny because I feel like not a lot of people are into acapella. However, our family loves it because, you know, what Paul just said, it was like one of the most magical moments of his life. And so I have a very vivid... So basically, uh, the sing-off runs for four seasons and we watch every season and our family loves it. We always sit down as a family together and we watch it. Most important season. Right. Most important and the best season. And this is not biased. If you watch the show, you know that the best season was season three. Um, If anyone knows Pentatonics... They were on season three, and they won season three. However, who came in second to them? The Dartmouth Airs. Um, so, but it was like a really good season with a lot of talented groups and just a lot of good music. And we would always come together as a family and get so excited about the new episode. We'd go and watch it. And this specific memory is on Halloween of probably yeah. like 2011 or sometime yeah, around there. Episode. So the scene, wow, I just had a weird little voice thing, but don't worry about it. Set the scene, it's Halloween, 2011, Zoe and Mia are out with their friends trick-or-treating, they're running around in costume, they're having a grand time, but all they can think about is the sing-off is on that night, and they cannot wait to get home and watch it. Even though candy is on their minds, the sing-off is probably a little bit above that, um, or maybe just equal, but basically we're running around, we're getting candy, and then our family collectively, after a great night with the friends, we were like, we gotta go, we have things to attend to back at home the sing-off episode is starting soon and so i just remember you know i had gotten enough candy at that but i was satisfied i was like i'm fine i'm ready to go home and watch the dartmouth airs perform and i'll never forget us sitting on the floor in our costumes candy all spread all over the floor you know how you do when you're counting your candy um out and you're like oh nice i got this and this so like 18 stickers yeah like yeah exactly (laughs) we're counting our candy and, and organizing it and we turn on the sing-off, and what they did in the beginning of each show was they had all of the groups come together. Each group had their own song each episode that they performed um, and practiced themselves, but then they also did a big group number where it was every single group participated in, like, huge choreography and awesome vocals because it was all these people's voices coming together it was insane and so since it was on halloween night they did a huge halloween mashup and they were all in costume and it was just like the most insane thing and whenever i've like looked it up on youtube since and like watched it and it gives me so much serotonin because yeah. like of the amazing memory i have with it of, like our whole family were in costume they're in costume we're eating candy they're singing and like there was so much energy 
in that song and they sang like ghostbusters and yeah, yeah. i'm trying to remember the other and, songs uh, this is halloween yeah. and werewolf in london yeah and it was so like the energy was unmatched and to see all of those people coming together to create something so awesome like was just truly amazing and i will ne- honestly never forget that night best halloween ever and i love the show the sing-off and i love dartmouth airs and we still we're still a fan of them we get, still listen to their music yeah. um on spotify and stuff yeah and, i love that memory that's cool you described that well uh and i have to just point out you may or may not remember this but you probably do uh that same night was when the heirs did the uh queen yep, medley yep, yep bohemian, bohemian rhapsody yeah and to me that was one of the best performances i had seen uh this is gonna sound incredibly biased and that's because it is uh, uh i thought that was one of the most entertaining yeah. and best performances i've ever seen on tv honestly. it was entertaining as hell like yeah. it was awesome um yeah i remember it's so funny i remember like that us watching that show like it was just a couple days ago yeah, yeah, yeah. like it's i can so picture easy. a lot of like the um the club can't handle me song yeah, they yeah. did the energy they had there too like i can i can picture i can picture like the funny outfits they were wearing and all of that stuff so it definitely it's cool because it's like obviously when my dad was in college i wasn't even alive but in some ways i get to experience his uh, acapella yeah. group with him so that's very cool also we got to meet all of the people like all of the college students who were on Dartmouth Airs at the sing-off at the time. We went yeah. and saw their concert, and I got to meet them. And this is also just a funny little fact, but I brought a notebook <laughs> so that I could get all of their autographs. Mind you, these are, like, college yeah. kids, which is just, just like, like, so funny. Like, they're just... 20-year-olds yeah, in college. They're, they're, they're just, like, like yeah, they're, like, normal <laughs> college kids, and they're just... They happen to be on a show called The Sing-Off, but, like, they're just dudes in an acapella group. But, you know, yeah. they're, they're definitely by no means famous. But to me, they were superstars, and so I bring my little notebook and i'm planning on getting all their autographs because to me they're the most talented famous singers in the world and in this notebook i wrote down things i love and it was my family my mom my dad my sister my dog like probably like pasta pizza like probably just like candy like probably just the most simple things and then the last thing on the list was the dartmouth airs and i showed them all imagine these college boys i showed them like Like, look at the things i love and they but they were all so you're last no but it was so sweet because they all were like they were all very very good kids i was probably like 10 or something yeah yeah. um when we did or no probably not eight eight nine some age around there and they were all like so kind and they were like this is an amazing list of things don't forget them (laughs) you know like they were super sweet and they and they all gave me their autographs and i should try to find that book and i have pictures of them and it's so funny because i definitely had like a little crush on some of them and <laughs> i have pictures of me in my in my like i remember henry yeah he was he was just like he like rapped one time yeah. and i thought that was super awesome and i had a crush on <laughs> like, him so cool i was like henry is so cool and i have a picture of me and henry and we're like smiling so big and like i just i'm beaming you can tell i was just so happy but yeah those are all my little memories which are crazy because it was so long ago you want to hear something funny it is funny you know the idea of asking these college students for their autograph Mm -hmm. Uh, but they had been on a nationally televised tv show that had you know whatever four or five eight million i don't know how many people watching Mm -hmm. uh but when i was in the group we were not on any show but at a few concerts in fact it happened mostly when we sang for young kids obviously Mm -hmm. uh people would ask me for my autograph and Mm -hmm. i always thought it was so funny uh yeah it was almost always like kids under the age of 12 like we if we sang at a school or something and there were some young kids around but also still be cover your ears but girls used to ask 
your for your like number and stuff after they would see you perform, right? Like they oh, would it flirt wasn't with after they saw me perform. It was just it any, was just any old general. reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, okay, no, but like it's funny because I uh, you wouldn't think singing a cappella right, would right. get you the ladies, yeah, but it did for Paul. Sort of considered nerdy, but but I think we tried to do our best to not make it but nerdy. Paul made it look cool, and <laughs> yeah, the yeah. girls wanted him. And yeah. But now he's with my mom, so girls back <laughs> off. I know the acapella might be <laughs> tempting, but no. He's a married man. <laughs> no, but... It's yeah. different when you're in your 50s. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it is, is then nerdy again. Wow, There's yeah, no suave anymore right. with any of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was our story of Paul in college. I mean, he has so many more college stories and stuff, but that was a big part of his experience. So I wanted to talk about it on the Dad Diaries. And we're signing off. Bye. Bye. I could have been quicker and said, I got eaten by a tree and then I sang some in college. But no, I've enjoyed, we like this better. We like this better. talking with you about it. So. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Okay. And we are back with the Dad Diaries. And I felt like it was only appropriate to end this whole diary session stories with paul i hope you guys have enjoyed this i've really enjoyed making this podcast it's been one of my favorites so far but i think it's only appropriate that we end it off with the story of how paul became a dad and that's when i was born of course so uh yeah that's take it away paul okay best moment of your life coolest thing you've ever done probably your pride and joy that is all true so just a couple quick thoughts about it. You know, uh, I think any parent will tell you it's sort of a transformative experience when you have a kid. And I know that I'm probably talking to an audience that it does not hold within it a lot of uh, um, parents. But any you parents... You don't know that. Well, that's true. I don't know that. Maybe the but, moms love my podcast. Yeah, we don't know. Right. That's right. But um, it, I think it's easy enough to say if you are a parent, you'll understand all this. And if you're not a parent yet and you do ultimately become one, uh, you will realize this is true, uh, that it's just such a transformative experience. And, you know, uh, when my wife Sylvie was pregnant, I definitely thought this is the greatest thing happening and it's going to change our lives. Uh, And as much as you think it's going to change your life, it changes it even more than you realize. And one of the coolest things I think is just that very moment when you see the child uh, for the first time. So when Sylvie and I saw Zoe for the first time, it's just overwhelmingly emotional you know you're you know you're excited to have a child but i think there's a little bit of like tension because childbirth can be a tough thing and uh easy it can be scary yeah Yeah, it can be scary yeah paul Um, you did somebody did all the hard work right exactly um but uh i just remember uh when you were born we were at georgetown hospital and um the doctor you know pulled you out held you up uh, gave you to mama you know, they clean you off a little bit first. And nice, one, nice. I was just staggered at how emotional. I just started crying immediately. Uh, and I think part of it is a little bit of a release. You didn't even know that you were nervous that this go well, and then it did. Mm-hmm. And then you just, just you realize you're in total love immediately. And, mm-hmm. you know, to see you when you were a baby, it was just like uh, these huge eyes and you already seemed to have a smile and Aww. there was just hair everywhere. You had so much hair for a, you know, <laughs> Wait, a 10 minute what? old kid. <laughs> Wait, why I do I like, have hair? I don't know. That's there was funny. just uh, yeah, you had a full head of hair even, you know, coming <laughs> out. Um, uh, so yeah, that was cool. And then mama and I had picked a song cause we wanted to have a song, uh, to sort of remember the whole thing by whenever I tell people this they think it's the coolest thing ever they're like what you yeah, were born yeah. to a song yeah, and I was yeah. like yeah I'm, I'm yeah. doing this with my kids so we we picked Elton John your song uh, we just thought the lyrics were sort of appropriate and uh, and we both enjoy Elton John and so 
we played it like as soon as we could in the hospital to to listen to you and sing it to you because we thought it was sort of yeah. like our love song to you. Yeah. Um, and if you so, need a refresher on the lyrics, basically the premise is he's like, how wonderful is life now that you're, you're in, the, in world. the world? Right, and that's exactly how we felt. And I, I guess all I'm trying to convey is you think it's going to be wonderful and then it's like 10 times more wonderful than you thought it would be. And so I hope for everyone that they get that experience or have had that experience and can remember it uh, fondly because certainly it changed our lives to have you come in the world and we're so happy uh, you did and you're here and 19 years later it's all been uh, you know no I was about to say it's all been good memories but it's been mostly good memories and <laughs> ups and downs that's, that's how life goes <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. no but yeah that's like insane to think that that was 19 years ago and yeah. that you can still remember it like it was just yesterday you know and, and, and just from an emotional perspective every once in a while I'll hear your song Elton John and I just you know get a little overclamped because it makes me think of yeah. that that day and uh yeah <laughs> the people at home Paul is tearing up slightly I can mm. see this <laughs> I can see his eyes nah, he's I crying together. I held it together <laughs> um, no but I me too it's funny because when I hear Elton John um your song I one it feels very personal to me I do feel like Obviously, Elton John does not know who I am. He did not write that song for me. But does it feel like he did when I'm listening to it? Yes. Or maybe it just feels like my parents gave me that gift of that song and like feeling appreciated as soon as I came into the world. And I think that, um, yeah, I think that I'll probably play that song for my kids too. Or maybe I'll find another song that I want to play for them. But I do love that song, even though I, you know, was literally just born so there's no possible way that i could remember the memory of being born i can when i hear the song i can picture paul and sylvie in the hospital and like holding me up and everything and obviously i don't actually remember it myself but i can picture it and it's just beautiful so yeah we know what you're gonna do next you'll send this podcast to elton john he'll hear it be so (laughs) you know enthused and moved he your next guest i'm sure will be elton john in this podcast so everyone tune in next week for elton john (laughs) That would be awesome. That'd be incredible. No, but this has been the Dad Diaries. That is the story of how Paul became a dad. And I hope you guys have enjoyed Paul's stories. Maybe there'll be more in the future if you guys like this. So, yeah, this has been the Dad Diaries. Bye-bye. Bye.